0: Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 233. It's titled, Is an Emerging Market Crisis Imminent? The Pearl and I just finished up a trip to Mexico. We're in Tulum. And the way that Tulum is set up, you have the hotel zone, which is on the Caribbean, just south of the Tulum Archaeological Ruins, and then you have the town of Tulum. There's some public transportation, lots of taxis, combis that go, but oftentimes there's just not enough, and so many people ask or hitchhike and ask for rides. So we picked people up. We had a car we rented. What I found interesting is most of the people that we picked up we're from Argentina, and I hadn't seen that before in our previous trips. I spoke with one young woman. She had been in Mexico about five months, I believe. She started in Monterey and now has come to Tulum. She's in her 20s. She works at a boutique along the hotel zone, and I asked her, just got to conversing a little bit whether it was easy or not to get a job in Mexico. I was trying to get at whether she had the appropriate documents to be able to work there. And she was very much, very forthright. She said, no, I don't, I, she doesn't have papers. But apparently they're a little more laxed along the hotel zone there. She said it was easier for her to get a job. She's young, she's confident, she knows what she's doing, she's skilled at working retail, and she got a job very easily. Another couple we chatted with from Argentina, they both worked in restaurants. A year ago, the Mexican peso and the Argentine peso were worth about the same. So one Mexican peso was worth about 90 cents in terms of Argentine pesos. And and the Argentine peso is actually stronger than the Mexican peso. Since then, the Argentine peso has fallen 47% relative to the Mexican peso. For one Mexican peso, you get one point... or one one Mexican peso is worth 1.85 Argentine pesos, which means if you are from Argentina... Argentina working in Mexico, as you convert that back to Argentine pesos, your purchasing power in Argentina is much greater if you were actually living there, in which case there's been a lot of individuals leaving Argentina for work. The unemployment rate there is 9.6%. Consumer confidence is the lowest since 2002. And the question is, what happened? What is going on in Argentina? And is that crisis, that economic crisis there, is that likely in other emerging market countries? In February 2014, The Economist did a briefing on Argentina. It was titled, The Tragedy of Argentina, A Century of Decline. They pointed out that in the 43 years leading up to 1914, GDP, gross domestic product, as a measure of output, what was produced in Argentina, it grew at an annual rate of 6%. That was the fastest in the world. They write, the country was a magnet for European immigrants who flocked to find work on the fertile pampas, where crops and cattle were propelling Argentina's expansion. In 1914, half of Buenos Aries' population was foreign-born. They continued to ensure that the country was ranked among the 10 richest in the world, after Australia, Britain, and the U.S., but it was ahead of France, richer than France, more wealthy than Germany and Italy. Its income per person, per capita, was 92% of the average of the 16 rich countries. Economies, So essentially, as rich as everyone else. Now, at least as of 2014, per capita income was only 43% of those same 16 richest economies. And it was behind other South American economies, such as Chile and Uruguay. Simon Kuznets, he's a Nobel laureate He said, there are four kinds of countries in the world. Developed countries, undeveloped countries, Japan, and Argentina. In other words, Japan and Argentina are unique. And the question is, well, what is it? Why has Argentina had such a difficult time? They were one of the richest countries in the world. And now they're, they're certainly not the poorest, but they have definitely struggled. Rafael Ditea, he's an Argentine economist, he said, if a guy has been hit by 700,000 bullets, it's hard to work out which one of them killed him. He's suggesting that there isn't one reason why Argentina has struggled over the past century. The economist pointed out several things. First, in 1914, Argentina, it was rich, but it wasn't a modern economy. It didn't really take advantage of that wealth in terms of investing in education. And because it didn't have a good educational system, Argentina struggled to create competitive industries. They point out, Between 1929 and 1975, Australian income per person increased at an average annual rate of 0.96%, compared with 0.67% in Argentina. And they used Australia as a comparison because Australia is also resource commodity, has, has wealth of commodity, yet they've been able to build a more diversified economy. In Argentina... Wasn't able to do that, and much of it was because they didn't, they had workers, but the workers didn't become educated. It wasn't, many didn't go on for secondary education. A second reason is political instability. There was a series of military coups. The first one in 1930, another in 1943, 1955, 1962, 1966, and 1980. Seventy-six. In 1989, it was the first time in more than 60 years that a civilian president transferred power to a successor, that there wasn't a military coup that interrupted. You need stability politically for an economy to thrive. Otherwise, businesses and outside businesses don't have the confidence to invest, to attract capital to modernize the economy, and that has been lacking in Argentina. The third is just a, a mismanaged economy. With all those military coups, there was some economic manipulation. There were repeated recessions in the 1970s and 80s. The, the hyperinflation In 1989 and 90, there was the economic crisis in 2001. Argentina defaulted on $80 billion of debt. That was the largest government debt default in history. And they were locked out of international finance markets. They couldn't borrow, the government could not borrow from outside entities. Nobody would lend to them mainly because there was there was a lawsuit between hedge funds and and the government on this default in 2015 Mauricio Macri took over was elected took over from Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner who had taken over from her husband Néstor Kirchner they were the president and As I mentioned, the economy had been mismanaged. Here's how The Economist put it. If Argentina's public debt remained modest, it was only because the government financed itself with freshly created money from the central bank. If inflation appeared manageable, it was only because the government fiddled the figures and capped prices. And if the trade balance looked favorable, it was only because the government banned many imports and rationed access to foreign exchanges. That's what Macri inherited, a, a extremely mismanaged economy. Now, Macri has two economics-related degrees. He's trying to get, as far as I'm aware, to get the economy back on track. But if, when you've had... Decades of mismanagement. It could be hard, but it started out good. And in June 2017, Argentina sold 2.75 billion dollars of dollar-denominated bonds. What was the term? A hundred years. It was a hundred-year bond. One of the few countries that have issued one hundred-year bonds, and it sold. 2.75 billion of the rate interest rate was 7.9 percent. That was in June 2017. Now the currency has collapsed over 50 percent. Argentina is facing a funding crisis, and that's we want to take a a deeper dive into what's a funding crisis and how. How do you get out of it? Well, if you're a country, an Argentina or another emerging market, you need dollars. If you've borrowed in dollars, then you need dollars to pay the principal and interest on that debt or to refinance it. So that's one aspect. So it's always risky to be borrowing in a foreign currency because you need to attract the dollar somehow to make those payments, so when emerging markets have gotten into trouble, is, is often it's their dollar-denominated debt. Emerging markets also, if you run what's known as a current account deficit, when you import more than you export, that means you have to finance that. What essentially, you have bought more. The country has bought more from overseas. Then they've sold overseas, which means they need to come up with that additional currency, that foreign currency, those dollars, to pay for those imports. How does a, how does an emerging market or any country get those dollars? Well, you want to attract capital. You want investors to want to, to buy into the stock market, to lend into the bond market, and so you have the, this capital flows that can be used to finance these current account deficits. The alternative is to run a current account surplus where you export more than you import, in which case you have excess dollars and you can build up foreign currency reserves. Now, the adjustment mechanism, if you run this this current account deficit, which in Argentina got up to 6% of gross domestic product, So it was large. It needed to be financed. And they've borrowed money. They're now back in the the bond market. They've borrowed money. They need that currency. But if investors lose confidence, then they're pulling dollars or they're pulling money out. They're pulling money out and then they have to be converted to dollars. So you have this capital outflow. The adjustment mechanism is currency. It's exchange rate. If there's capital flowing out, and wanting to be converted, you want to convert your pesos into dollars and get your money out. Then that results in the currency falling in value. It weakens relative to the U.S. dollar. And that's exactly what happened. There was a lack of the confidence in Argentina has diminished. And we've seen this in Turkey And other emerging markets. When the market loses confidence, and and one of the, the telltale signs is that current, the least of that lack of confidence is when that current account deficit starts to increase. In other words, it's starting to widen as a percent of the economy. Here's how Capital Economics puts it. They write, a widening current account deficit suggests that an economy is becoming more unbalanced and increasingly dependent on foreign capital inflows in order to finance domestic demand. In this case, either the policy needs to tighten, which means central banks raise short-term interest rates, and that's what Argentina did. The central bank raised short-term rates to 60% in August 2018. And the reason why you do that is, with the rates going up, it slows down the import growth because how are you going to borrow money if interest rates are 60%? It makes it difficult for businesses to, to borrow, to invest, to bring in the import, households to, to purchase. It severely slows down the economy. It raises unemployment. But the idea is to stem those capital flows and to reduce That current account deficit, so that you're not having to finance it by trying to bring in dollars. Ideally, to get, and if the currency weakens enough, then exports become cheaper. So you're able to increase your exports, and imports become more expensive. And so that's reduced. And so that can be that self correcting mechanism. Before we continue, let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsor. What do companies like Ring, Hint, and Togovas all have in common? They all use NetSuite to accelerate their growth. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you must have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, or hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow, all in one place, right from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence. That's why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you'll ever need. Schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com david. That's netsuite.com david, netsuite.com david. I first became aware of emerging market crises in 1997. I would only been an investment advisor for a couple years. One of my associates had produced this this report on emerging markets. She was from Hong Kong. It was a, it was a very well done report. It recommended investing in emerging markets for the diversification, and it didn't help. It certainly helped that emerging markets had, had performed very well, so I started recommending emerging markets to my clients. I had a pension fund client that I recommend emerging markets, and I I remember them distinctly. They didn't want to buy or invest in a broad-based emerging markets index. They were worried about the crisis in Mexico that had happened a few years earlier in 1994. So they went into an Asian only emerging markets index fund. Right before the Asian emerging markets crisis. It was essentially a financing crisis. The need for these emerging markets, economies, economies, particularly in Asia, to fund their huge current account deficits, to fund their foreign borrowings, the market lost confidence, and they started pulling capital. Capital economics does, there's a chart, where they looked at what's known as external financing requirements, and they looked at how, what is the amount of foreign capital flows a country requires over the next 12 months in order to roll over maturing external debt and to finance its current account deficit. So in 1997, that financing requirement was 200% this is across all Asian economies, emerging market economies, 200% of their foreign currency reserves. In other words, they didn't have enough reserves to roll over their debt and fund this current account deficit. This, the essentially fund that they imported as a country more than they exported. And that was a huge crisis. In Latin America in 1982, it was 250%. That's what was required in terms of external financing as a percent of their foreign currency reserves. Argentina in 2018, they're at 150%. They do not have enough foreign currency reserves to, to, that's why they're in crisis, to meet, to finance their current account deficit and meet their dollar debt payments. Turkey is at 150%. And their currency has also plummeted. But then what's interesting is the, across the board, other emerging market economies are in much better shape. China, for example, less than 50%. Russia, less than 50%. Brazil, Indonesia, Mexico, so all of these, these countries, the, the bulk of emerging market economies, and certainly the larger ones, they have sufficient foreign reserves to meet their financing requirements f- for current accounts. So many of them run current account surplus, which is one reason it's small. They might have some foreign debt. But the point is, emerging markets overall in a, are in a much better situation because they learned their lesson of 1998. They realized Or 1997. They needed foreign currency reserves. And so they ran economic policies to build up the reserves. So they had this cushion, this margin of safety when the capital markets started to lose confidence or there was some crisis somewhere else. And that's important. And so we're in a situation where emerging markets are just in better shape. Joseph, he's a member of Money for the Rest of Us Plus, a listener, pointed out a, a really good article by some of the researchers that research affiliates. It's by Chris Brightman, Michelle Mazzolani, and Jonathan Troussard. It's titled Pundits Predicting Panic in Emerging Markets. And they kind of go through the analysis that we just did in this episode. They look at you know, where are, you know, which emerging market. Economies are at most at risk They point out Turkey and Argentina How most are better off But they also point out that emerging market Countries, emerging market economies They're in much better They're much wealthier than they were Since 2000 China's real gross domestic product per capita Has grown by 60% India by 41% Korea by 24% Taiwan by 22%. And they contrast that with Italy, whose real GDP per person has contracted by 1%. Germany, Japan, Great Britain, and the U.S. expanded by about 7 to 8% since 2000. So emerging markets have grown much faster, which is one of the attractive things about emerging markets. And then in terms of their foreign currency reserves for emerging markets, their average reserve level is 25 percent of gross domestic product. It's tripled since 1960. Capital Economics points out that the number of emerging market crises has declined from an average of eight to ten per year in the 1980s to the 1990s to two to four a year more recently. And by emerging market crisis, that includes it could be a, a particular bank within emerging markets or some. Some type of crisis, so not something necessarily the International Monetary Fund had to come to the rescue, which they have in the case of Argentina. In terms of lending, fifty billion dollars. Economic policy making has gotten better at in emerging markets. They they no longer peg their currencies to the dollar or to, to some basket, but they allow them to float, have floating exchange rates. China little bit of floating, but not quite as much. Inflation is more under control. They're more disciplined in fiscal policy. Financial regulation has improved. And, and much more debt is issued locally. And so the idea, is an emerging markets crisis imminent? No. There are some problem countries, such as Argentina and Turkey, But across the board, they're in much better shape. And at the same time, valuations are attractive. So Research Affiliates points out right before the funding crisis of 1997-1998, the cyclically adjusted price-to-earnings ratio for emerging markets was selling at a premium to the U.S., So emerging markets were more expensive, even though there were these macro imbalances that had built up and they weren't the foreign currency reserves, which is why emerging markets, that investment for that pension plan and that Asian Emerging Markets index fund, it fell 80%. Now, why didn't I stop them? Because I didn't know. I was just a new analyst. I didn't know anything about current account deficits. I wasn't. I knew that we were supposed to diversify. And this was a way to diversify. I ignored valuations. I ignored macro trends. I don't invest that way now. Now I'm I'm very cognizant of that. And and I became much more cognizant of that as I got more experience as an investment advisor. But in the early days, that was a mistake. So now, the price-to-earnings ratio... Cyclically adjusted for emerging markets is 12.9 versus 27 for the U.S. So it's, it's less than half what the U.S. is. So they're more attractively valued. There's still risk. China is a much bigger component of emerging markets. Their share of global GDP is 15%, up from 5% in 2005. So just in the last 13 years. And they are five times bigger than the second largest emerging markets economy, which is India. So they're big. And we've talked about China in other episodes. In terms of trade, we've talked about in terms of their debt level. It's still, it's definitely, it's, it's very much a, a managed economy to some extent. So those are definite risk out there. And we're in a period right now where where markets are are volatile. But when things settle down, emerging markets will probably, when we get through this this what appears to be a cyclical bear market, emerging markets will probably come rushing out of the gate because they're in their economies do grow faster. And they're in they're more stable. They're in a much better situation in terms of foreign reserves, in terms of just the items we listed off in this episode. So what does Argentina need to do? Well, they need to get back the confidence of the world community. They need to become self-funding. They need to effectively stop running a current account deficit and start running a surplus so that they can start building up their foreign currency reserves. And by doing so that will attract more capital to invest in The economy, they need to improve education, improve their political stability. And it sounds like the new president's doing that, trying to get rid of some of the more managed aspects of the economy to make it more competitive. But that takes time. It can take decades. Research affiliates, Breitman, Mazzolini, and Troussard, in their article, pointed out something really interesting. They write, external debt to GDP, and they're talking about the United States, external debt to GDP is higher than in the worst emerging market countries. We have more debt that's owned by non-U.S. countries. The U.S. runs a persistent current account deficit. So why isn't the U.S. in crisis? And we talked about this as the dollar collapse imminent. Well, they point out, they write, but with great wealth and the world's reserve currency, the United States seems in no immediate danger of a funding crisis. People still want to own dollars. And they still want to invest in the U.S. But that's not guaranteed. If we get more political, if the U.S. gets more political instability, if the market Loses confidence in the U.S., then there could be issues. So it's not it's not guaranteed. I, mean, I have been I've done episodes on we shouldn't be overly worried about the budget deficit. Although I am more worried than I've been because it's at a level. Potentially 5 to 6% of GDP, where it shouldn't be at this part of the economic cycle, should be much narrower than that. The amount of U.S. debt, government debt being added each year should not be at the rate that it is currently. It's been exacerbated by the tax cut. We've not seen the economic growth yet to offset the revenue reduction. So the deficit is bigger I've never been comfortable with the huge current account deficit the U.S. has. I think it's better to, to make things here if we can. So it's not. So you don't have to re- require that others to invest in your country, to buy your debt. The reason why these many have come and invest is because they have dollars to invest. That's why China invests in our country. They have dollars. Why do they have dollars? Because we run a huge trade deficit. With them. Now we have 10 episodes of whether tariffs is the way to solve that. But certainly, as households, we need to be cognizant of what we're buying, where it's made, and is it, is it worth it? Is, is buying the cheapest always the best solution? So it's interesting that because the US is wealthier, it's more productive, it's been able to run this current account deficits and borrow from outsiders. The big difference is the borrowing is in U.S. dollars. It's not borrowings in a foreign currency, which means the U.S. will not default, as I've, I've pointed out. But Argentina, hopefully they'll come out of the crisis, but it doesn't appear like it will spread to other emerging market countries yet because they're in much better shape than they were in 1982 and in 1997. So I don't think a crisis is imminent. That is episode 233. You can get show notes at moneyfortherestofus.com while you're there. Please sign up for my free weekly insider's guide. It's an email I send out to all listeners on the email list. It has the links to that week's episode as well as other valuable content, a weekly essay I do, something that doesn't make it anywhere else. Only send it to that email list can sign up at moneyfortherestofus.com. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I'm not considered your specific risk profile, not considered your situation. So just general education on money, investing, and the economy. Have a great week.